0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and this week we're featuring the artistic community. Uh, we had some musicians. We had Dave Panting from uh, Rollins Cross, uh, Newfoundland. And now we're heading to County Galway, and we're going to talk to Kieran Toohey. And Kieran is a sculptor, so we're going from the stage to the sculpting arts. Kieran, welcome, and thanks a million for coming along. Awesome. Thank you. So Kieran County Galway give us a little bit of your background um, and what got you into to, um, the arts and uh, then we'll move on and we'll talk about the current um, exhibition that you have running in Portumna that normally runs or that you've had it running up in the Epic Museum in Dublin but uh, yeah fill us in a little bit in your background on uh, what uh, excited you about getting into this medium
1: Uh i oh, going gone back. Uh, originally I went to England as a child and went to school there. And uh I did out in school. I would have liked to have pursued it at the time, but uh I'm from a large family and uh uh I, I wouldn't have expected my parents to support me at that time. So I didn't see I didn't see a future in it now, to be quite honest. Uh, so I started an apprenticeship for the capital. And uh Course, well, I, I always had a, a, a thing for, for sculpture and art, and uh, I, I, I finished up mingling the two uh, work on sculpture and sculpture. Well, wood carvings originally uh, they were designs from the Book of Kells, and, uh, and they ke- became a bit tedious for me. And, and uh, when you think about it, I'm uh, I'm copying designs from the Book of Cows. Some of them were my own designs. They still look like the Book of Cows design. I, uh, I want to do something more meaningful. And uh, I, well, I chose the timber because it was the uh, the bog oak, because it's 70 years old. It was, it's different from working than the old timbers.
0: Uh, Karen, tell tell me a little about the bog oak. And, and first of all, how you get your hands on it and what kind of pieces you're able to get your hands on in the raw and then the type of texture that you're working in.
1: Yeah, well, uh, the bug oak is the oak tree that fell in Ireland thousands of years ago and uh, were buried in bogs and it's kind of an acidic soil or acidic base or whatever you're going to call it. Uh, It kind of pickled the timber and preserved the timber. Uh, I, I got one piece dated for uh, Quinnipiac University in Connecticut uh, it was dated by Quincy University to 1705 BC uh, but it's it's because the university requested it, I don't usually do that uh, but I do know that the, the timbers I'm using are thousands of years old uh, they're on a <laughs> I, when you're sculpting with it you don't have you don't have a lot to play with uh there's a lot of damage to it through the years uh and but i don't I don't see that it's between the the expansion and contraction of the timber and causes a split in the middle and split on the else anywhere. but uh, i don't i am I'm immune to it i don't there's something I don't see until i finish and I have to clean out all these cracks and the dust and rubbish in there a lot of debris in there uh uh, stuff that's from way down the ground, uh, but the 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 oak itself, it's is coming from. I'm getting from uh, some brother laws I have, the uh, farmers, and it's from reclaimed land, and they're digging it up when they're digging the drains to drain the land. Uh, from uh, you know, in the west of Ireland, there's still a lot of turf cutting going on, and that uh, the machines for the turf are coming on it and um, it's a nuisance and they're just throwing it out of the way. Oh, I've been lucky enough to meet people that's come across this and be able to get it. Uh, they bring it up to the side of the road for me and I just get a lorry with a crane on and pick it up. But, you know, it takes a few years to dry out then.
0: So when you say it takes a few years to dry out because when it comes out of the bog it basically is—it has absorbed um, a lot of the moisture that would have been in the land and you needed to get to a point where... Um, it has fully dried out. When you say a couple of years, you're looking two, three, if maybe even four years in some cases?
1: Um, the big pieces, yeah. yeah. Uh, you get a lot of smaller debris stuff that uh will be dry out in 12 months. Kind of stuff, uh, sometimes you think a piece is dry and you can work on it and you, you can smell the dampness in it or, or you can, if it's very, very wet, you'll see it when you hit it with the chisel. You'll see the moisture and uh, you know it's not ready you can put it back again. Yeah. It's not very often you make that mistake. I know. I know generally I can, uh, it's a bit complicated, but I have a kind of a system where where I have the stuff stored. Uh, uh, but it's my own system. The stuff gets mixed up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so when it's fully dried out, then would it be, It's classified would it be as a hardwood?
1: Well, it's is a hardwood, yeah. It's oak, uh, but it's it gets even harder. It's harder than the the. The, the kiln dried oaks the modern oaks um, some of it is very big you can't cut it with a handsaw uh, you might use a chainsaw on it but you can see you'll see sparks coming out of it, uh, you've off it when you hit the stuff. and the same with the chisel it's very hard on chisels you're constantly on them. And, uh it's like the my favourite chisel now would be a half inch ordinary woodworker's chisel I'll take the bulk of the stuff off with that Uh but I have four of them, and I sharpen all four together. So, so I'm not sharpening every five minutes, I'm sharpening once a day, kind of thing. Uh, and I, I have a range of about 50 different chisels, but it's only, it's only maybe a dozen I use constantly.
0: So then, when you look at a block of wood, are you able to see from that block of wood what the end product you're trying to achieve is, what you're chipping away to get to?
1: Uh, sort of uh, I know exactly what I want to do with the wood before I start uh, especially if you want to use this I use it as a material I don't try and imagine the spirit in it or like this uh, I don't talk to it either but uh, uh, if you know what you want to do you've got your mind made up what you want to do and you, then you can imagine what you want to do in the timber and work on it then I I don't really sketch before I start uh, because of the timber, you have to uh, you have to move things around. There might be a, a big crack where you want to put a head and and you move the head a little bit or something. Uh,
0: I suppose where I'm coming from, in a way, is like, have you things in your head, ideas in your head, that you're waiting to find the right piece of wood in order to implement it?
1: Um, maybe there's a bit of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is a bit of that. Um but it, it, it generally, generally hell, I just go out and look for pieces for my idea. Uh, and it could be, uh, if I want to do big pieces, I'll be looking at the big pieces for the idea. If I want to do smaller pieces, it's the smaller pieces I'm going to be looking
0: at. But I suppose, you know, it's like, uh, what I'm saying in way is that, you know, if you if there's something, you, an idea that you really like to craft, uh, and you know you'd like to do it in a certain size, that when a piece of wood appears on the horizon you're kind of saying I've been waiting for that piece of wood now I can actually carve it
1: well I I have most of the the different sizes I have the timber in storage really uh, but the, you're talking about that I, I did come across a piece once uh, it was it was in a boggy bulk, land and I couldn't get a machine in to get it out and it was there for two years and I knew what I wanted to do with it and I was saving this idea for two years Uh I eventually got it out, and uh, of course I had to wait for a good couple of years before it dried. And uh, it was about 10 feet long, uh, a lot of cracks in it, full of rubbish, and uh, I had two ideas actually. and I think it was to cut it in the middle, turn it upside down, put the flat ends down, and it was the pieces that were sticking out. Uh, one was a poor house and one was called Stuffless People, which was about the immigration to America or Canada, and the coffin shops. Uh, before you start, the timber is very unpredictable. Sometimes, so I, I I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I still started pulling at pieces that were sticking out, and a massive chunk came out, uh, and it left the timber looking like a like a, a log that had a. It looked like a slice of pizza that was missing out of the log, and I was I really truly like it, and so many years waiting to do this idea in this particular piece of timber. There's uh, a. Uh, I was just devastated and I threw it on the ground and I actually kicked it. Um, it's not something you do with kick powder because it's fired on the toe. But uh, uh, I started on another piece I was at at the time and then I thought, oh, what I was doing, it was a, a, a coffin ship. Uh, what I wanted to do on that piece was a coffin ship, a funeral on board the ship where they were burying a child on one side into the sea and burying a man on the other side into the sea, uh, but the piece that was missing was turned out, I was thinking, it, it was the sense of loss, of life, they lost their homes, they've lost everything, uh, and their, uh, their only saving points was to go to America or Canada. Uh, but it was just the piece that was missing was essential to the peace. It uh, just happened to be Princeful would happen that way. And the piece that I actually took out is uh, a piece that's in Ireland's Great Hunger Museum at the moment. Uh, and it was a thank you to the Choctaw. But that came out from the same Center. And the piece that I got dated from seventeen oh five BC.
0: when you talk about the, the um that piece and how it's now in that uh the Hunger Museum and the the famine exhibition um, would most of your work, when you're st- when you're working, uh, you have to put food on the table. So, where are you able to get your end product, your art, um, out there, so as to provide the livelihood? Are you um, through galleries or through museums? Where would you primarily be able to
1: work? I have had exhibitions and so work through galleries. Uh, it's not very profitable, actually uh I'm I'm doing this exhibition, the one in Dublin and the one in Port Tomina. uh and self funding it. Um, I have no other income than that. What I well I'm, I'm working on savings that I had I, I used to work for a living as well as work well as an well artist. But now I'm full time as an artist and it's taken a few years to put this exhibition together. So so uh uh, I, I generally don't don't know don't know what's gonna happen after. Whether the exhibition stays together in a, or, a or or a or what. Uh, well I've, I've had a lot of suggestions what to do, but uh, there's nothing concrete yet.
0: No, you had it up in Dublin from the middle of March up to the beginning of April and how did that do for you up there at the Epic Museum?
1: Uh uh outstanding. Uh the amount of people that come into theatres and I couldn't I, I used to be worn out talking in the evening uh, and your head would be spinning talking to different people about different pieces a lot of people that different ideas you know they, 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 they identify with different things and uh, and it's, you talk about that story but there's, there's 24 titles but there's 35 pieces if you know what I mean uh, like one piece is one title and there's 10 pieces included uh, but they're identifying with different things uh the the length of soup are pieces say so you from four feet high to two feet high. are you, are you metric or <laughs> uh but, uh on both
0: you still go to the butcher for a pound of beef. You you, you get the gas in litres for but you talk about miles for per, per gallon.
1: <laughs> well America is is three metres and, and we are metric here yeah, but I I'm still both. Uh, but anyway, uh, because of the height of them, children used to come in and used to identify them with them because they were about their height. And uh, it was great to hear the reaction and listen to them talk and, and interpret it themselves. Now, I, I told you just briefly there about uh I did one for the Museum called uh, Thank You for the Choctaw. It's because they donated $170 to uh, the Irish during the famine. And uh, I felt guilty after it. I, 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 it was a genuine thank you from the heart. But uh, They had a similar place uh, just a generation before that, where they were put off their land in Mississippi and uh, were sent to a reservation, which is now Oklahoma, by the way. And the, uh, I had to tell their story. Uh, uh, it, I just felt I didn't do them justice in just thanking them. So there's one piece which is not about the Irish famine. it's about the Choctaw, and it tells their story from, from the, the, the homes that they lived in, where there's Hollywood to tell you that, 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 you know, Indians lived in Wigwams, it was a Choctaw nation lived in chukas, mud huts, grass roofs, much the same as the Irish lived. All the Irish parkers in Ireland didn't live in stone cottages. Uh, 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 the, uh, could like only have an acre or, or so, and they might divide it with her son, and have, show them how that case. They couldn't afford to be building, building stone cottages. Uh, some, uh, not nothing a, nothing was built the size of, of But then they were, they were, they were put off the land, and, and they had to trek through the, through the winter. Uh, I think there was twelve thousand of the tribe on this match only six thousand survived. They had no, no uh, children survived the match no old people, wise men, uh, the medicine men—all perished because they were, they were older generation. And it's uh, uh, so only when they got to the reservation, the you know the Oklahoma—I think it's—is it called Mountain Fork or something? I'm not sure about that, but in Oklahoma, now. Uh, they got a chance to grieve. And, and uh, at, the, at the top of the sculpture, there's, there's a a woman with a newborn baby, and with uh, the people, the, the Choctaw, uh, actually grieving for their dead there. And the piece contains about 70 figures between uh, the living and the dead. Uh, the, the, the dead died along the road, and uh, the ground was too hard to bury them, so they, were, they reversed to burying them in the trees. They buried them naked in the trees, actually, because they needed the clothes. Uh, they were promised, uh, they were promised clothes and blankets and tools, it never arrived. them. That's the main reason why they died. Actually, it wasn't just the cold.
0: Um, I had the privilege a few years back here in Av- and met some people from the Choctaw uh, down in Oklahoma, and uh, I know that their um, memory. Uh, is a living memory relative to the relationship between the Choctaw and the Irish. Yeah. The exhibition is now in um, Portumna in the Workhouse, and I had the privilege of um, uh, doing a tour in uh, there. Uh, Steve Dolan organised it for me uh, a few years ago, um, and that is also a fascinating location steeped in history and a dark history. Um, so you're over there until May. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I was actually there. Uh, all morning today uh, talking to different people that was coming to see the exhibition and uh, unlike Dublin uh, in Dublin we had to be there full time because we had to uh, uh, we rented the building and and uh, had our own insurance public liability and employee liability. we had to go through all the ropes but in Port it's different uh, they are they're showing the exhibition there and uh, I don't have rent to pay or Stuff like that. It's, uh, it's putting out a lot of costs, but I wanted to go to Portoma in the first place, anyway, because some of the some of the bulk hope is coming from that
0: area. You mentioned how you know you've dipped into your own resources, savings, and all that to, to put this exhibition on. So, um, given the number of people that are coming through and that are seeing it, are you finding people are coming up and wanting to actually buy some of the pieces that you have an exhibition? Uh,
1: yes. Um. Of course, if I sold a few pieces in Dublin, I wouldn't have had an exhibition uh, to come to Portumna. It's not. It's not only about the money. It's, it's this is a story, uh, has to be told.
0: You know, when the exhibition in Portumna is over, over, you someone you can go back to who are, who would like to get their ha- have some of these pieces in their home.
1: I haven't been taking names and addresses of people. when oh, it's all over. i like to keep the exhibition together, uh, and there's been suggestions of how I could do that, but there's nothing concrete, and I have to—I uh, just have to weigh things up at the end.
0: I was going to—would it be your hope that you could bring it over this side of the Atlantic, then also?
1: It'd be nice, but it things like the cost involved, uh, that would be a stumbling block for me different, because uh, uh, I think I'm—I may be under a little pressure from my wife. <laughs> if I come up with another hate brand idea and says, uh, uh I like to putting the show on for free and paying for it. But uh anyway, it's not it doesn't make good business sense. But there again, uh because uh I'm getting the story out of that's getting told and all I am getting out of it is maybe self promotion. That's what you can't live on self promotion. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and, uh, when you do finish up in Fort because it's a relatively recent uh, well it's close to finishing up on the 9th of May and um, anyone who goes on your website and has a look at your work is certainly going to be impressed and of course the website we should mention is com. that's K-I-E-R-A-N-T-U-O-H-Y.com and you can see um a sample of Kieran's work there um, have you other exhibitions lined up during the summer and throughout the year? no no uh
1: these the, the exhibitions I do are uh, there's a big gap between them because it takes years to put this exhibition together it's not something you can do in 12 months or and like that it's taking years I've got years of work invested in this Uh so there's the <laughs> I could make smaller exhibitions and have a couple but uh, uh, it's not uh, the exhibition itself is like a book there's so many different stories in the famine, and it's about the people Uh not dealing so much with facts and figures. Uh, it's about the horrors of what
0: happened. I know. Looking at some of the pictures of the figures, and it is very much about people. In part of your research before you put the chisel in the wood, uh, would you say that you have got to know some of the people that you're about to carve through your research?
1: You can feel it. Uh, it's a feeling, I you guess. You, you can. You can what happened to me there for a while is uh, I was having trouble sleeping I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking about some of these things that had happened and would be sweating and, and they're pumping and you could be bad tempered and you get angry and then when you get angry like that in a dream or, or whatever semi-consciousness you, you, it's impossible possibly sleep after uh, but it, 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 it it's uh, it always results in the sculpture uh, and I don't always really jump at an idea. If I have an idea, I work on the idea and develop how I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm going to show it. Uh, it's like the walk of death, or the uh, trail of death. Uh, so people had to trek in, in, uh, in Ireland island from Lewisburg to Duffy Lodge, which is a long walk through the mountains. They had to be there at a certain time, and it's, and it's similar to. Uh, the Choctaw Trail uh, is here. It's where the, uh, the, they had to trek through the mountains in, uh, to be at a place called Delphi Lodge the next morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, the, these people that were trekking through hadn't eaten days uh, and they, they went to Delphi Lodge to get a ticket for they, they had to have a ticket at time to work on the board of work schemes you know, these roads that Repairing the roads and building roads to nowhere and things like that. just through. Anyway, when they got there, uh, the constabulary were there and couldn't, uh, they had to wait because the constabulary were having their breakfast. And uh, they didn't want to be disturbed. After they finished the first breakfast, they told the people they didn't need to be there uh, and to go home. Now, a lot of them had, had died along the trail, but well, a lot of them died on the way home as well. They could have gone around the mountains, but they wouldn't have been at the Stealthy Lodge at the Likwaii time. That's why they had to go through the mountains. Uh, and uh, it's in
0: the Koola Valley in Connemara. Scrolling through the the, the gallery here, and it's just um, emanating emotion uh, from each piece as I look at it, and uh, the, the depth that you've been able to... Uh, craft into each piece is phenomenal. Some of
1: the things I do is, it's, uh, is to uh, provoke emotions as well. Uh, that's part of it. uh, It's like uh, I have two big ones there between dusk and dawn. Uh, I often do big ones because they your face. You won't pass them without remembering them. And I have them at the front of the gallery in Dublin and even if you were just passing and and looking in the window but, uh, you'd, you'd notice them uh, it, uh, it, in saying that it, it, it was uh, and during the exhibition I had two ladies from Bristol come in and they were asking me about that one and uh, it's about the death of a child now you, you go back to old Celtic times uh, it was bad luck to, to have a, a, a baby dying and uh, you couldn't bury a child during the daylight because the daylight couldn't get on the child you'd infect the daylight so it had to be done at night so that the that buying some bad fairies and, and, and wouldn't get into the uh, in the picture it awesome. anyway uh, there was another story then the, the Catholic Church I saw a lady uh needing to teach one day outside the graveyard and it's because the Catholic Church wouldn't allow unbaptized children to be buried in consecrated ground. Uh There's only recent years that has been changed but uh, it just struck me as that that's wrong. But then again when it comes to famine then uh, if you're on these border work schemes you could be walking miles from home you could take the hours to walk home uh, and uh, when you get home maybe you're baby or your child had died or your wife had died and uh, there were no mobile Almost at that time to ring up and tell them you would being be in for a couple of days or, and I'll uh, tell them what happened if you were not there the next morning your job was gone, somebody else had your job gone and you had the rest of your family to think about it so a lot of children and and even like men burying their wives in, in, in the ditches uh, behind the house, so this went on uh, in Ireland and uh they had to be back to work the next day no matter how grieved you were because uh, you had to feed those children. Uh, and it's then three stories combined that went to this. Now, these two ladies uh, from Bristol were in tears uh, Listen to this story and it was the first one that picked out. And I had to tell to them, look, I can see how you distressed you out here in this. I said, there's a lot more distress in this exhibition than that and I'm not telling you anymore. Uh, But they went around the exhibition themselves and figured stuff out. Uh, Pretty good, actually. Uh, But I didn't tell them anything else. So they were so distressed at at that one. And that wasn't... Even though that was in it, if they hadn't asked the question, they would have gone away and remembered it anyway because of the size of it.
0: Switching gears slightly, I know when you would have been in Dublin, you'd have had the opportunity to have a look at the sculptors that are on the... the, um Um, Liffey um, bank down there the Jeannie Johnson and I'm sure you're probably aware that the mirror of those sculptors or the other complement of those sculptors is in Toronto because of course Dublin is where they were leaving and Toronto was when they were arriving so there's a beautiful Ireland Park in Toronto has a a permanent exhibition that matches that and um, there's a a great awareness the
1: sculptures in Dublin who are done by Ronan Gillespie. He's absolutely outstanding sculpture. Uh, and this, where I have my exhibition in Dublin, is between uh, Ronan sculptures and the Jenny Johnson. Uh, I maybe one day I might get to Canada to see the ones in Canada. They're absolutely outstanding. Uh, the pictures I've seen of them. But uh, the week before, the Ireland's Great Hunger Museum have uh, an exhibition in Dublin Castle at the moment. And uh, I had actually met Ronan there, and he was telling me that uh, he, he has sculptures in Australia as well. And uh, uh, President Higgins went over and unveiled them and, uh, and launched them, and uh, Australia was that impressed. Well, no, he did something in, in Van Diemen's and, or Tasmania, sorry, and Australia, and they that impressed with his work, that they commissioned him to do more work, so he's travelling back to Australia at the moment doing uh, more sculptures there uh, he's, he's an outstanding artist Sunny has working on it's great so I'm giving the same as well
0: Kieran, you and I should wrap up I could talk to you for hours but we don't have hours unfortunately it's been an honour and a privilege to chat with you I'm I'm, moved uh, looking at the pictures of your work at can only um, imagine the emotions that would uh, come to the fore when actually seeing it Um And it certainly is very, very impressive and and very moving. And um, hopefully it would be wonderful if it could be possible to ever get it over to this side of the Atlantic and um, bring it to the place where the Irish arrived and uh, the many Irish over here who um, are very aware of the famine, the impact of the famine, but at the same time um, have been inoculated against a lot of the emotion over the Hundred and fifty years.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, it's been an honour for me to talk to you. Uh, uh, I like was about bringing it to Canada as well. I actually was in Canada myself once. Uh, I was in Canada in 1954. My parents, before we went to England, I was only baby. Uh, I, my mother and father and myself were on the same passport, uh, and he went to Quebec. I you know, only stayed there a few months, six months or whatever. And uh um went back to England and then came back to Ireland again. To get the to same thing at that time. Uh, so I was in Canada, I just don't remember. But I'd love to return actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well you were you were in the right place when you went to Quebec because of course that's where the ships were arriving to grow seal and uh, that's an area that I know you would have particular interest in as well. Uh but, uh, it is uh, a remarkable place to visit and the, to see what the famine ships arrived into and just to try to imagine what it must have been like. I, I've interviewed some of the scholars who have studied that period and, and are very much um, informed. And I remember putting a question to one, um, and it was, you know, in the height of the famine year, when you look out from Gros uh, given that the St Lawrence is frozen for a period of the year and is only open for a certain number of months I was contemplating, based on the number of over 100,000 who arrived in one year there must have been hundreds of ships tied up at the same time out from the um, uh, immigration station across the and he said, yeah, there were and the people were dying on board those ships within sight of land and it's horrendous when you consider that they'd made it across the ocean, they'd got down the Saint Lawrence, they were looking at the the station, the land where people were, and they didn't make it.
1: Well, I don't know if you're in a hurry now, enough, but I know there was there was a, a, a line of ships three or four miles long, uh, tethered, uh, just waiting to get there, and they couldn't uh, they couldn't disembark because they all had to be inspected. But uh, one is a story about. Uh, it's a ship called the Henna. Uh it went down in the mouth of the Saint Lawrence uh the end of April eighteen forty six. It had left uh Warren Point in Northern Ireland and uh over. Uh they it's an ice sheet because the Saint Lawrence hadn't it was still frozen. It, it was uh, just one in the years when it didn't didn't uh, Defrosted early enough, and uh, it's a horrible story about the ship was sinking, and uh, the captain escaped with some of his crew on the only lifeboat that was on it. Before he got off, he nailed one of the hatches down. I've read the reports on this from the time, though it's not it's not a story I wrote in the book. It's uh, it's genuinely from the reports at the time. Uh, he Nailed down the hatch well that us stop the air from escaping so it stopped the water from getting in
0: <laughs> yeah but
1: the the, the, the paupers couldn't get out so when he was gone then the, some of the other crew ripped off the hatches and let him out uh, there was one man one of the stories that went with, there was a man who saw his two children fall into the ice into the icy water and uh, he got a rope and dived in to save them but he couldn't swim with the rope in his hand so he put the rope in his mouth and swam to the children Unfortunately, he didn't save the children. They couldn't get them in time. And uh, he was rescued himself onto the ice sheet. But when he was rescued, he had no teeth because the rope would pull the teeth out. There was, I think, I'm not sure, is it 39 or 49 people were unaccounted for. In my sculpture, uh, I have have, uh, just the ribs of the ship at the bottom of the sea, with uh, what I'm calling on the ballast intact, because the ships at the time uh, were delivering uh, timber to England. Because at the end of the Napoleonic Wars in England, uh, timber was very really expensive, bringing it from, uh, from Europe, especially in Germany and France and other the countries over there wanted it. And also to bring it into England, there was a tariff. To bring it from Canada, which was past the Commonwealth, there was no tariff, and it was also cheap to buy in Canada. Both the ships would be top-heavy. Then going back, uh, they like to blow over in a storm or heavy wind. So the people used the ballast, uh, um, uh, uh, they'd have to carry something else to stop it from rolling over. Uh, just the people took the place of the ballast, and the Chinese people for it, which is made it very profitable for the companies at the time. But it were not designed as uh, passenger ships there were. There were uh, cargo ships, more than passenger ships anyway, but they they'd build a few bunks and add into them, and there'd be a few people to each bunk, or I forget what you call them, they're not bunks anyway, they're all boards and all the, uh, yeah. Anyway, and it's just a horrific story, there's, there's more piece to uh, that story, but uh, I'm afraid you'd need another hour in your program, I think, to, to tell that story.
0: I, I know, and... And again, the the relationship, as I say, is so strong between um Strokestown House, as twinned with um, um, Gros Eel, and then uh, Partridge Island, just off uh, St. John's New Brunswick, was another place where there were an awful lot of Irish who arrived. And in Montreal, there's a monument to um, what are unmarked graves of, I think, about five to 7,000 Irish who had made it through Gros Eel and got down as far as Montreal. Uh, A horrendous story. Um, Now, the um, uh, the great thing, I suppose, is that the awareness of the, as I said earlier, the relationship between Ireland and Canada and the famine is something that's very strong. And um, as you, what you've done, again, the emotion is is so strong within each piece that it's wonderful. Um, Kieran, we've got to wrap up here. Um, I want to thank you, Kieran Tui, for taking the time. Now again, I'm going to say the website is Kieran Tui. That's K I E R A N T U O H Y. dot com. And um, I'll be back in Ireland in May, and unfortunately, it'll be after you have closed the exhibition in um, Portumna. Otherwise, I would have been heading fa- fairly quickly to it. Um, well, you
1: never know. I don't know what's happening
0: um, yet. Well, with luck, Steve Dalton might extend it. <laughs> Never know, I said, thank you very much indeed,, Boston, thank you very much.